Imagine one day you're just walking along the streets and you get arrested out of the blue. You're crying, being a woman and alone. Next thing you know, you are being loaded up onto a ship against your will with all the other women who were just unlucky enough to be alone on the streets. Your destination is unclear, but your choice in the matter has been taken away. Shipped out of your country to a strange new world. That was the Scarlet Migration. Hello, my name is Summer, and this is Paying For It. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. I got someone to feed my legs and make a dead man come on. Thank you for being here for episode 35, season two, baby. Whoop, whoop. I am so excited to be back. This is the second time I am recording this episode. I should have been back a week ago, but you know what? Life happens. That is what we're learning here on Paying For It as well. It's just life happens. Um, yeah, I am so, so excited and ready to be back to take this season by a storm. I have big plans and big aspirations. Will they all come true? We will see. We are kicking off this year with a goodie. And I hope you are just as excited as I am. And I hope you don't get seasick because we are going on the Scarlet Migration. We are going to take a close look at what that may have looked like and how badass our women of history are truly. What happens when you send a bunch of women who have been deemed fallen or useless to a whole new world to be, you guessed it, wives? Will they do as they are told? Will they or will they break free? and pave their own way. Well, we will be getting to all of that and more, but before we do, how the heck are you? Hello. I hope you haven't missed me too much. I hope you're all excited for me to be back, and I hope you guys had great holidays and a new year if that is something you're into. If not, I hope you enjoyed your day today. My holiday was pretty low-key and mellow, which is the way I tend to like it. I had a couple days off from work, and yeah, I just had um, a nice little time vibing. Um, For New Year's Eve, the day before New Year's Eve, really, a couple days before New Year's Eve, I got super duper sick. I got the flu. I think 
literally everyone in the entire world did. Um, yeah, I got really, 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 really sick. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. So I got sick. And so for New Year's Eve, I was very sick. And that kind of sucked to ring in the new year just sick and on death's door. Not really. That's a joke. Um, but yeah, I was really sick. I haven't been sick like that in um, years. It was bad. I was bedridden. But then New Year's Eve, I pulled myself together, went to work, rang in the new year, slinging some beers and drinks, and suffering. Suffering for some people, okay? <laughs> I suffered. But you know what? I made it through. And the very next day, bright and early, I flew to Colorado Springs. I got a new car, baby. Hell yeah. I was so excited. I've been waiting patiently for my, my new car and it finally arrived. I got the notification right before Christmas from our dealership that we were going to that it, it, it had um, been shipped in. And so we planned to go on New Year's day but what I didn't realize is that the dealerships were closed but that's okay because we flew to Colorado Springs and we flew in and well it's Colorado baby it was beautiful 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 so we definitely went and enjoyed our whole day in Colorado went to the Garden of the Gods I will insert some pictures it was so beautiful. And though I was still so very sick, I suffered through and I went on a hike and I went into nature and I enjoyed myself as much as I could being sick. Um, thank gosh, by that time, I was kind of feeling a little bit better, but it was like, so Saturday, New Year's Eve was on a Sunday. So Saturday, I was sick with the flu. So very sick with the flu like vomiting and all and um went into work for uh, new year's eve on sunday it was feeling slightly better like not vomiting but i was definitely coughing and had no voice it was like i got sick with the flu and then immediately got sick with a cold or something i'm not sure it was miserable whatever it was but monday new year's day um, I was feeling a bit better, but I still just was worn down. <laughs> That's what a cold does to you and coughing like crazy. But um, hiking might have helped a little bit. I do feel like sometimes sweating your shit out does help, even though hiking probably wasn't the best idea, but um, it didn't make me worse. So that's okay. Um, but yes, the Garden of the Gods was just such a beautiful place to be, a beautiful place to look around. Colorado Springs reminded me of home, Eugene, Oregon, and the people were a, a vibe. The town was a vibe. It was fun. And so, yeah, I just enjoyed my time and went on a little hike. And then afterwards, we went and ate yeah, like we are foodies over here. So we ate a lot of food. And um, I also am into beer. So there was a few, I probably would have drank more had I not been sick, to be honest. But each of the places that we went, I tried to try a local beer. And then um, 
that way it's something something fun to do you know try a little local beer if you like a local beer so that that was um that was what we were doing and yeah it really was uh I really had a good time and then the next morning we woke up we went to the dealership and we spent some time there doing all of that if you ever bought in a new car or just gotten in a car in general from a dealership, you know it takes time. And so, yeah, we spent our time there doing that, picked up the car, went to lunch at a really cool place in Colorado Springs. Had They were a local brewery, so we um, this was on the recommendation of our uh, dealership people that we were dealing with. They told us to go over to this brewery have lunch before we left. That's what we did. We had one of the local beers. Um, I had a, a roller coaster, I believe what it was called. And it was a roller coaster, but it was very good. And then, yeah, we started the 11 hour drive back, got back to Texas and about 2 a.m. in the morning, and I had to be up at 9 a.m. and went right back to work. So I, yeah, I was a miserable little gremlin, but we got through it, and then I worked straight through until my day's off. So yeah, it was a good time, but it was also very, very exhausting. I just feel like I'm finally now um, catching up on just not being worn down. So yeah, but Colorado was beautiful and a lot of, a lot of fun. So I highly recommend. (laughs) I also highly recommend you going there to get a car if you have the opportunity because it was an amazing experience, (laughs) which is weird to say, but it really was. They treated us so well. But yeah, I hope your guys' new year is kicking off strong and exciting and you are vibing out and doing whatever you are into. If you're someone who does resolutions, I hope your resolutions are, you know, going well for you. If you're someone who doesn't do resolutions and you're just goal setting or whatever, I hope everything is starting off very strong. And yeah, so let's get into season two, shall we? And let's kick off this year strong, really strong. I really have big aspirations for season two and I hope you're here for the journey and so if you are please if you haven't already like follow leave a review wherever you're listening you know what to do if you're on YouTube subscribe um yeah and if you're really vibing with me you know let's do this together let's grow and come into season two So yeah, like and follow. I don't want you missing anything this year. If you're really vibing with me, this year is going to be big into deep dives of some interesting ladies of the evening. So yeah, like and subscribe, review, wherever you're listening. If you're an audio person, then it comes out on all the audio platforms. If you're a video person, it will come out two days after it comes out on audio. I am not going to tell you what day it's coming out because this season I'm really focusing on deep diving and doing a lot of research. I noticed last year that I was really trying to force myself to get an episode out every week. And not that I'm going to 
just go MIA as, um, you know, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I really want to do the research. And because I was focusing on trying to get an episode out every week, I was missing out on books. And if you don't know about me, I am a big, big reader. I love to read. And I find that books give you a lot of history that you cannot just find on the internet. So my goal this year is to read a lot more books that have to do with our girls of the night, you know, like I want to learn about our dolls. So I will be reading about them as much as possible. So it's hard because some of the books are much bigger, some are smaller. So it's hard to tell you exactly when episodes are going to come out, but we will be here and they will be in depth and juicy, baby. Juicy, juicy. This history is spicy. You know it. I know it. And so if you're willing to be patient with me, and I hope you are, you are in for a real treat coming up this season. So yeah, don't miss anything. Subscribe, like, leave a review. Don't leave a review. No, I mean, do leave a review. But if you're just new here, subscribe. Let's get into it together. Let's grow together. (laughs) And with that, let's get into it, shall we? When it comes to Horus history, we can look all over and find hints of it all throughout our world as it is today. Today, though, we are going to look into what it looked like for a group of women who just got their choices taken away and forced out of their home into a scary new world just because they were deemed outcasts of society. Landing in a whole new world with nothing, they would be unloaded and off they went basically having to fend for themselves, now truly only having each other in this world. The thought process was to marry the French quote-unquote prostitutes to the men who were sent from Canada. And Canada wasn't sending their finest men either. So, you know, they were basically just hoping to marry the unedeemable to the unedeemable. Redeemable? What am I trying to say? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. Unedeemable? Yeah. However, it didn't go quite as they had expected. And soon, the ladies of the night were so woven into the fabric of New Orleans, Louisiana, It would be a very, very long time before they would be chased deep into the back to lay dormant. However, no matter how much the world tries to chase them out of their home again and again, their story and history is so ingrained into those streets and world, you'll never truly be able to get them out. So with that, you know what time it is. Grab yourself a cocktail, a mocktail, a coffee, a beer, a snack, whatever you fancy. Today I have. So I just got into the okay. So I just got into these like new things. Um I just found them. They're I, I they're called like crisp lime crystal 
I think crystals, lime. <laughs> and I got a bunch of the lime packets that are just like supposedly dehydrated crystallized limes and one packet equals one lime wedge. And I also noticed that they had their own versions of water flavoring. So I got myself a, a variety box and I found that I really, 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 really like the watermelon limeade. And so, yeah, that's what I've got here. Some watermelon limeade. And so grab whatever you're in, whatever you're in the mood for and cheers, 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 cheers. And let me introduce you to Pre-Storyville, the Scarlet Migration. I'm telling you, they're so good and um, you should try some if that's something you're into. For New Orleans, it all started basically with the new French colony of Louisiana. So basically, Louisiana, or at the time, it was known as the French Louisiana, a district of New French. This was a territory in North America that was colonized by France. And Louis Fourteenth, also known as Louis the Great, he would begin by shipping dozens, if not hundreds, of women that were given the title as quote-unquote prostitutes to Louisiana, making you believe that they shipped a bunch of women who sold sex for a living and knew the ropes and life. However, the reality of what actually happened is far darker than that. So basically, on December 12th, 1719, the French police will load a ship up named La Martine that was full of only female passengers. These female passengers were all French prisoners, all of them being given the title as a prostitute. None of them, or maybe only a handful of them, actually were sex workers. Now, this was a time that was, you know, not great for women. We have talked about this before, little to no opportunities. And this was uh, way later than we've ever actually talked about. This was in the 1700s. Okay, early 1700s too. And so if as a woman, if as a woman, if you were uh, alone in this world, or just had a bad start, you were just deemed fallen and unworthy. So you were then just given the title prostitute because in their mind, that was the only option you had. So you would eventually be one. Most were unfortunately just found guilty of being a woman. Like these were just girls who were out and about <laughs> right before the ship was to take charter right before this plan was in like when they made this plan intact um the police started to really hunt down and round up arresting any woman they found that could be what they assumed as fallen and they would arrest you for any reason and then you were stuck in jail and just stuck there. Even if they just found a woman in the dark alone, she was arrested. 
So any woman who were getting any of the women who were getting thrown in jail at this time for anything were going to be labeled as a prostitute, allowing them to just throw them away like trash, just causing them to have a bad reputation. And then people wouldn't fight for you at that point. Not that a lot of people were fighting for women back then anyways, but yeah, as soon as they were labeled as a prostitute, then people were like, oh, well, then they they get what they deserve kind of thing. These women were not hardened criminals. They weren't even all sex workers, like I was saying. So sadly, they were just alone in the world, young women, and they were chosen as the lower class and easy to sacrifice. And that was the key here. They were looking for women they could sacrifice because they did not want to get rid of their quote unquote proper ladies. So now that you're getting the idea of what this ship full of scared women was all about, they took charter. They left the French port of Le Havre and started their grueling three-month journey. Could you imagine? Can we just pause for a second? Could you imagine just being out and about one night? Say you even were a sex worker and you're just doing your thing. You get arrested and you're like, okay, you get arrested and you're like, okay, I'll be out in a couple days, move on, whatever. But then like you don't get released. And the next thing you know, you're getting just pushed onto a ship and you're like, wait, what the fuck is actually happening? Like I could never like imagine something like that happening. I would, it would be so, so terrifying just to be like arrested one day thinking, low crime, whatever you're arrested for. And then you're, then the next time you see daylight, you're, you're being, you're pushed into a ship to be shipped off to God knows where they're not telling you. Of course they're not. These, these, you think the police were telling them where they were going? Maybe they had some kind of idea, but I doubt it. I doubt it. So they're put on a ship with no information, little to any, anything. And just off they went, probably with just the clothes that they had on them, which is insane, insane. So when they get dumped off, they're in fucking America with, with no one, just them, themselves, the, the people that they came with, who they barely know, also just uh, women. So it's like they're all in this like really shitty situation. These first 80 women will start off the women to come and populate Louisiana. The ships will continue to come throughout Louis the 14th reign and even his successor Louis the 15th who took over. Also, what the fuck was with men in history just having the same name just oh god, as a man you had to have hated that. I don't know. That's so weird to me. Men are weird. I don't know. Not all men. Hashtag not all men. I'm just saying history men were weird. The whole purpose in their eyes for shipping these women over was for them to become wives, like I was saying, to the Canadian men who had also been shipped off to be colonists. Now, the good thing about women is we are resilient. And when getting there, some probably did become wives, but some found themselves going to work. It's them 
we are here to talk about. These women did, in fact, go to work, and soon the oldest profession was thriving. So when Esteban Rodriguez Mario, the Spanish governor that New Orleans seceded to by the French in 16, or I'm sorry, 1762, he was very upset by the fact that working girls were thriving to the point that they had their own just spit on myself, um, their own like certain kind of power and community. These girls said, oh, you're shipping me to be a wife? No, thanks. You thought you had all the power? Nah, I will be over here with these girls and we'll be vibing. So they had their own sort of like community and like power. So when Rodriguez, um, well, Esteban, we'll go by his first name because we're not formal here. When Esteban took over, he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm not a fan of this. We've got to get it together. So, of course, he will go on to attempt to change this, announcing that if those who earned their living within the world of sin, if they would not be willing to renounce sin, he would then be threatening and order them to be kicked out of the providence. So basically, Esteban's like, if you are a sinner, you better get your life together and renounce that sin. And if not, I'm going to kick you out. You'll be kicked out of your home. That will you were here for before him. But this, though, will have no real effect on the women of the night. As at this point, it was a fact of life. It was already so ingrained into the world as they knew it that most just were like, let these girls fucking be, which for real, let these girls be. So, you know, it kind of goes unforced. So prostitutions and the ladies will go on to continue to really thrive and weave themselves into the fabrics of Louisiana. This will then lead us to when America ascends to power in 1803. This will bring the push for the Puritan morality, you know, um, even though that will not be able to push out what was basically the building blocks of Louisiana, the Puritan morality could not compete with the already ingrained women in the society, but also the money, honey. It always comes down to the money. Now, at this time, old New Orleans was also getting their fair share of rich rivermen who were ready to let loose, drink some whiskey, and find themselves in the company of a beautiful woman for the nights. Since New Orleans history basically started with the women willing to turn a trick, they were all too happy to provide the service. Not only to the river run, but basically New Orleans was getting a reputation for a place for the prostitutes, the gamblers, and any and all tenderloin types. While prostitution was booming, the New Orleans e elite Creole Society, this was a society who couldn't stand a horror and really wanted them out. So 
as New Orleans is becoming a place for vice, it also, of course, is becoming a place for rich and elite because one, they go hand in hand. I'm learning this. You can't have one without the other in history, okay? And money brings in the elites. So everyone's like, oh, this new place, there's money, there's like vibes and stuff like that. So that's happening. And then the ladies are like, the elite have money. They're willing to give me that money. So the men are low-key like screaming, oh, not good, not good, but then going to them. The ladies over in the elite, the quote-unquote proper, they're the real ones that are like, uh, hold up. What? Y'all had to go. So the Creole society um, really is just like, mm, we, we don't like this. They've got to go. And so... They wanted them out of the what was then considered New Orleans, even though most of the ladies were very, very discreet with their profession. Still, the high end classy said no. They will not be successful in eliminating the ladies, however, they will, though, cause them to be kicked out of the city that they made. Well, the city of old New Orleans. The ladies will be kicked out and find themselves basically where they began. And like I said, we're resilient. So they head on over to Basin Street, which will quickly become open for business. Now, if you're familiar with Basin Street of New Orleans today, then you know that it is practically right downtown. However, th at this point, Basin Street was way out of the city, way out of what old New Orleans was, which was the main city for the time. It's just like our ladies to say, okay, you want to kick me out of my home? All right watch what I will do next. And boy, did they do something wild, which is basically to become the new hit spot, starting New Orleans as we know it today. The ladies offered a good time for a price, and the men, of course they flocked, which allowed vice to flow and the town to begin. So they will go on vibing, thriving, and here we are, now New Orleans. It's building up, and of course, people are like, oh, what? We've got to be there now. Like, that's where everything's at. we got to be there. The money moves because the ladies moved. So um, they're thriving and vibing and having a great time. But then in 1830s, um, yellow fever will turn New Orleans into the city of the dead, unfortunately, because it will spread, f it will spread fast and hard through the city. Yellow fever at this time was very fatal and very, very gruesome way to die, honestly. And it was an epidemic for years, years to come. Yellow fever spreads through mosquitoes and the illness thrived in warm, humid places and it wasn't easy and it was not an easy way to go. And if you've been in New Orleans, you know, it's a warm and humid place. <laughs> so it really was a disaster for Louisiana and it wasn't, um, 
as it could cause a lot of really gruesome symptoms like jaundice, which was the yellowing of the skin, hence yellow fever, um, chills, nausea, headaches, fever, um, convulsions, delirium, and then eventually that would lead to the bleeding, which I'm sorry, ew, trigger warning, even though I've already said it. Eventually, the victims will start to bleed through their eyes, nose, and ears. And wow, if that is not the worst thing that could start to happen, and also just like terrifying, like could you imagine just how terrifying that could be? Um, and so it was a very, very, very hard way to die. And it was horrible and it hit Louisiana really, really hard. Historically though, the working girls are known to act as nurses throughout history when needed. We see that come true here with the ladies of Basin. As yellow fever spreads through their city, they would take it upon themselves to start caring for the sick and dying, doing what they could to help. And this is really important because back then when people started to get sick, it caused fear, of course, and then when the fear would happen, most people would just turn away and act like wouldn't wouldn't be wouldn't bring themselves to be kind in any way and try to help people. They would literally just turn away and yeah, the world back then was very cruel. I would say the world today is cruel, but back then it was cruel just for getting sick you were pretty much looked at as like a problem and uh not not a problem worth solving either so yeah not a great look for citizens but a great look for our ladies of the night because they historically throughout all of history have always turned to great nurses not only do they show they are badass, caring, lovely people to the sick? They will also be one of the first groups to work together to pay liberal amounts to improve sanitation in their area. So when people start getting sick, they start to become nurses. They start taking care of people because they know what it's like to be the outcast of society. And then on top of that, when they start realizing, well, maybe we should put some pride into our city and also maybe that will help um, kind of not be so gross and maybe help with the spread of disease. They come together as a group and start putting their their hard-earned money. And when I say hard-earned money, I don't think a, I don't think someone has worked harder into improving their city. So I think that's very important to remember how often we hear that in stories of our queens and ladies of the night, how often they put their money towards bettering not only their lives, but the lives of the people around them who look down upon them. So beautiful, beautiful. I, I can't, I respect them more than I can even articulate clearly. These ladies of Basin will pave the way to what was to come soon in the town. However, they will get hit hard in 1849 when the California gold rush strikes. Okay, because this will leave Basin Street and Louisiana 
pretty much a ghost town for several years. They will get hit hard with this because everyone, you know, we've we have talked a lot about gold rushes and how they really um everyone was moving there. Everyone was going. So it was like leaving towns that were pretty much port towns and thriving to die a little bit because of how many people were like, I'm going to go make it rich by striking some gold though. So Basin Street is left a ghost town for a lot of years, but eventually life is then breathed back into New Orleans, leaving the ghosts to linger in the dark and help the new girls along. The first real tenderloin district in New Orleans will be bounded by South Liberty and South Robinson Street. Welcome to the swamp, where you can find the streets filled with cheap dance halls, brothels, saloons, gambling rooms, Turning the corner into alleys, you would find cockfighting pits on the street corners and deep in the alleys, depending on how gruesome they were. Honestly, uh, that makes me really sad. But to be fair, Louisiana has a a weird history with cockfighting. So, you know, you couldn't not in the in the vice you were going to find it there. It's within these blocks that you would also find roaming houses, which were your affordable housing option, whether it was short-term or long-term, depend on the person. But if you were coming into town, this was where you were staying for cheap. Now, the swamp of New Orleans first Now, the swamp was one of New Orleans' first vice districts. However, it was a very, very dangerous place. I mean, most vice districts back then were because anything went. Between 1820 and 1850, over 800 murders took place in the swamp. It became incredibly, incredibly dangerous that even the police wouldn't enter into this area, which is insane. Around 1817, the first ordinance was going to be put into place. This was going to be an attempt to control the situation within the swamp. This allowed the city to fine you $25. If you couldn't afford the fine, then you would get a 30-day jail sentence. So then in 1837, the city put in place another ordinance against the ladies, which basically allowed any three quote-unquote respectable citizens to sign a petition against you if you were a sex worker. This would then allow the mayor to order an eviction against you, forcing you out of your house, which is like, what the fuck? Could you imagine that allowing the citizens, so your neighbors, friends, enemies, and strangers to hold this kind of power over you to just be able to kick you out of your house just for working? But what if they were just being petty? What if you weren't even working? I mean, I'm sure you had to have some sort of real evidence against these ladies, but still, like, what the fuck? 
that's wild to me. It blows my mind to be on. Just like history was so weird. So very weird. Yeah. So that basically allowed them to kick you out of your house if they could get three signatures. Then in 1839, another rule will come down against the harlots of New Orleans as they were outlawed from inhabiting the ground floor of surrounding alleyways or walks um, in any building in the city, which, again, may sound odd. However, that was the city's attempt to stop what at this point was how the ladies got clients. Some girls walked the streets or street corners getting clients as they were coming from work or maybe some drinks and gambling. Other girls and a lot of other, a lot, this was a main way to do it would be to sit and hang out in your window seals and advertise and catcall men as they walked by. So they would be just chilling in their little, you know, sexy get up or whatever. Some even just sat naked and they would just be in there like window seals, like hi boys, you know. So uh, the uppities would not like that as much. And at this point, Um, They're really trying hard to contain it, first of all, make money from it, and also keep a balance of keeping it hidden and also keeping people, the quote-unquote respectable citizens, happy. So they, they don't want it... They don't want it to go away quite because a lot of money is there, but they also don't want to have to fight the citizens. They want the proper people to be happy. So then in 1845, all coffee house places, uh, all coffee houses and places of entertainment where alcohol is sold will be declared legally off limits for working girls. But, you know, this is the city's point at desperately attempting to gain control, which was not happening. Uh, the this was spreading like the girls they started this city this was I don't want to say a problem because it wasn't a problem in my eyes but in their eyes they deemed this a problem (laughs) as they really really wanted it out of sight out of mind they wanted the money but they also wanted those around them to stop bitching at them and that is the real issue the harlots of New Orleans proved to be just as resilient as always though They would just adapt and grow from each rule that was put on them. Because remind you, prostitutes made this city, baby. So they were going to continue to grow in their world. Paying for sex was ingrained through the city. So these laws were unenforceable. So they went unenforced. The ladies would continue to do their thing within the city, bringing in the men from the poor and those traveling within the city, taking them for what they had to offer and giving them way more back in pleasure. The port made New Orleans an always bustling city as it was a major port for wares and good, causing it a place to do business. 
and great for business for the lady. And also vice. In 1856, where the property and... So in 1856, this is where the property and religious groups start to make real complaints about the social and economical effects that prostitution may have on the city. This will cause a series of pushes to attempt to regulate its legislative, regulate it legislatively. Um, so basically, they will start saying, hey, 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 hey. So we know you're making a lot of money from them and we get that and all that. And um, we've been attempting to be like, oh, it's dirty. It's gross. It's just not good. Um, and that hasn't worked. So now we're going to say, well, what if it starts to decline our property values? I'm putting a lot of money into buying these houses and trying to sell these houses. And I can't because a harlot's next door and the proper society doesn't want to buy a house where there's a working girl next door. How could they? so yeah that's that's the that's what's happening here so this will bring us to 1857 a year later new orleans will put forth the first ordinance designed to acknowledge the existence of prostitution requiring the ladies to get a license and making it a taxable job this was the first of its kind no such efforts had been made before this in america enter miss emma pickett's Emma will, under the new ordinance, be forced to apply and pay for a license for her to operate her bordello at, at 25 John Street. After that, she will turn around and sue the city for the cost of the fee. With this first test, it will crumble this new ordinance as it will be eventually ruled unconstitutional in spring of 1859. But at this point, the swamp is starting to decline anyways, not because of sex work, um, not because sex work was declining, no, 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 but purely due to geographical reasons. So this will then lead us to Gallatin Street now listen, if the swamp was bad, Gallatin was worse. It was two blocks long and it was a true port of missing men. That was its nickname, okay? A red light district was where you could find sex work, but also where you could find all things vice. So a lot of the districts were... A lot was going on, not just sex work. And that was what usually caused its violence. Not really with the women, but, but sometimes with the women, but mostly with just the underbelly of what was being dealt there, okay? If that makes sense. But in this district, Gallanston district, it had a fairly, very violent and rough district which drew a very rough and tumble crowd. But it wasn't until Smoky Row that the violence kind of turns a corner. And so around 1870, Smoky Row begins, and this time the violence was coming from the ladies. A lot of men took their pleasure in Smoky Row, but never left. 
This will, of course, cause public pressure to really push for changes when it comes to the area. You know, the ladies were pretty much getting away with murder. Not all of the ladies were murdering their tricks, but enough of them were that the things needed to be adjusted. So in July 1885, the city will send the police into the area to shut it down. They will do this pretty much by padlocking and arresting. When a building would get padlocked, it couldn't be reopened for a year after. As this was happening, not a lot of bodies were being recovered. Sadly, though, a lot of bloodstained wallets with mounds of miscellaneous mail items and clothing lined these streets. So if that doesn't give you an idea of what was happening there, it's wild to think that like in Smoky Row, the ladies were giving zero fucks. They had gotten to the point, I guess, where they were just like, nah, fuck this. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't mean to laugh, but a lot of violence is also put on women. So it is interesting to see this point in history where the ladies said, nah, nah, we'll be violent to you instead. This will then cause prostitution to spread throughout the city of New Orleans throughout the 1880s and 1890s. The ladies of the evening will start to again establish themselves in respectable neighborhoods and districts, making the townspeople to really start to freak the fuck out. Um, they panic pretty much. And that is why the... Um, landowners and property managers will start to push to again legislate this in a way that confines or gets rid of they were hoping to get rid of and the townspeople really wanted to hope to get rid of and the religious leaders really wanted to quote unquote save so you know they're really pushing for change Because now they don't just have to deal with these small little pockets of districts. Now it has there. It's a wide open city. And they mean that in the the way it is said. It was a wide open city, baby. Okay, so let's pivot for a second. And let me take you to a carnival. Mardi Gras was incredibly incredibly good for a business for the ladies i mean come on how could it not be mardi gras has a very rich and deep history however it was first celebrated in america on march 2nd 1699 when french canadian explorer jean baptiste lamoine sur de beneville my, my dude, you have the longest name. He is going to arrive at a plot of ground directly south of New Orleans. He and his crew will go on to name it Pointe de Mardi Gras. When they realized it was the eve of the Festivus holiday. However, the first real Mardi Gras will be held in 1703 in the teeny settlement of Fort Louis de Louisiana, or what is now called Mobile. 
Mardi Gras will continue to be celebrated throughout the next few years. It will gain some interesting traditions and lose others. For example, at a certain point, they would establish a secret society that would continue until around 1710. Eventually, though, New Orleans is going to be established in 1718 by Beneville himself, and by 1730, Mardi Gras was celebrated openly in New Orleans, but not exactly as we do today with parades and a lot, a lot of drinking. Instead, in the early 1740s, the Louisiana governor, Marcus de Verdurlel, I'm butchering all these names, I'm sorry, who established, um, he would go on to establish these very elegant society balls. Um, so he has these, but you have to be very up in society to be able to enjoy these. So this will then bring us into the late 1830s. New Orleans will start holding street festivals. The streets would be lined with these like sparkling gaslight torches that lit the way for the carriages and horseback riders during the celebration. Mardi Gras would continue to grow and adjust to where we have the celebration that we do now, which is parades balls, and a lot of drinking. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the ladies and why the carnival is so important. So by the 1880s and 1890s, prostitution had really spread back out, reclaiming the city that they had started. And at this point, Mardi Gras was in full swing. It had been being celebrated pretty much since the beginning. However, the society balls started However, when the society balls started, the ladies of the evening weren't considered respectable, so they did not get an invite. In fact, they were banned from being allowed to be enter into these balls, and uh, that was pretty fucked up. They were excluded. The local ladies, even though considered unrespectable, they did have their own money and they were able to say, all right, like they normally do, whatever. You don't want us there? Fine. We will just make our own and we will make it twice as better. And boy, did they. Okay. You are cordially invited to the ball of two well-known gentlemen. This was a notorious ball that the Demimos of New Orleans created for them and their men to party, baby. And boy, did they party. Oh, this ball goes on for a while, but you were not allowed in if you were proper. And I love that. They would invite their men in if the men paid enough money, of course, and the ladies would be invited as long as the ladies knew how to turn a trick. And they, um, the girls of Vice back then, they didn't live their life under these like grueling rules. They were free of that. So they partied. Oh, they partied. And the ball of two well ge well-known gentlemen became the talk of the town, became the biggest thing, the thing everyone wanted to be at. So eventually when Mardi Gras adjusts and the balls are still happening, but they also start having parades for the townspeople, this will then bring even more to the ladies of the evening. 
they would be making so much money, honey. I, I mean, these girls loved Mardi Gras time because it was great for business and it brought a lot, a lot of men their way. And then now they have this ball and the parades and they're just really, really thriving. No matter how much the city's people and the proper society to to push them to the back it did not work because louisiana well new orleans was already growing this reputation for its sexiness and salaciousness and the ladies baby so mardi gras was a celebration for the ladies all throughout new orleans now the ladies are thriving, so even though they aren't socially always accepted, it did not matter because the ladies now had their own community, they would host their own hearings and elect new queens as their leaders, they had their own money, they had their own freedom, really. And with money comes power, and it became very clear within the city that the ladies held their own power and status within. And not only within their own communities, but within the leaders of New Orleans. So this is going to lead us to the mascot, which was a salacious newspaper that ran in New Orleans from 1882 to around 1897, and a new issue being released every Saturday. Now, the paper seemed on the surface to be almost satire and silly. However, if you actually paid attention and dug into it, it was very political. It's in the mascot that they start pointing out the obvious ties between politicians and prostitutes, the leaders of New Orleans and sex workers. The mascot would be the first one to bring light to the fact that the police were taking graft from the ladies. They would take 25 cents a day from the ladies and $3 from the madams. The graft would be held all week and then collected weekly by a police officer from each and every single lady. So when this is being released, of course the citizens will be even more shocked and want to call for change as they are so not okay with their police officers collecting money and gaining um, a lot from vice. Because the argument, of course, is if the police are making good money from this, why would they want to enforce or police what society deems as unruly and unjust. So they are benefiting from it. So the, of course the town's like, what the fuck, you guys? You guys are police officers. You're supposed to be uh, jailing these people, controlling these people, stopping these people. Instead, you're profiting from them. And the police are like, yeah. So this will have the city, mainly the church leaders, calling for change. And it is now that our story really begins because this series is going to deep dive into the next 
And it is now that our story really begins because this series is going to take a deep dive into Storyville, New Orleans. Storyville was one of the longest running legal red light districts in America, which ran for over 20 years right downtown New Orleans. For the next couple of episodes, we will be taking a deep dive look into what Storyville was all about and the queens that ran it. So I hope you are excited because this is so very fascinating. And this was just the intro and we are going to get into the nitty gritty of it all. And I hope you are just as pumped as I am because it is going to be so spicy, so sexy, and so, so interesting. So that, my friends, was the start of the story of the good, the bad, the ugly, but also the glamour, the power, and the freedom of Storyville. But really, this episode focused on the Scarlet Migration to New Orleans and how the ladies of the evening really, really drived what we know the city to be. Come back for the next couple of weeks to dive deep, deep, deep and learn all there is to learn about the infamous Red Light District. I hope that so far you are enjoying it and I hope that you are excited for the story to come. This one is one of my favorite parts of history and it is so full of rich stories and history that is fun to learn about and scandalous to learn about. I feel like every time I look into Storyville, I learn something new. And I love that. So I'm really, really, really excited to deep dive into this world and truly learn what it was like to live in Storyville, what it was like to be a lady, what it was like to be a madam in New Orleans. As one of the queens who helped make it what it was, we are going to get into it, baby. We are going to get into it. And so, yeah, with that... That is all I have for you today, but make sure you like and follow so that you will be let know, know when a new episode comes out and journey down the history of Storyville with me. I will see you next time, and until then, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and week, and yeah, get ready for this spicy, spicy tale. All right. Goodbye. I got something between my legs gonna make a dead man come out. I got something between my legs gonna make a dead man come out. Thank you.